Welcome to the Ethics Experts, where we're elevating ethics and compliance, and HR, to the strategic level it's supposed to be. Hey, besties, this is the Ethics Experts. You have Giovanni Gallo here, and I am pleased to introduce and feature today Rob Chestnut, the former Chief Ethics Officer at Airbnb, and the author of this exciting new book we're going to be talking about today, Intentional Integrity, How Smart Companies Can Lead an Ethical Revolution. Rob, welcome to the show. So glad you're joining us. Thanks for having me on, Giovanni. Uh, so I always like starting with this question, and I'd love to get your perspective on it. Uh, it's always interesting how people end up in an ethics and compliance role. And uh, I'd love if you could share with our audience some of the influences um, and some of the things that led you down a path to becoming a uh, chief ethics officer. You know, I, I have been in sort of rules my whole life. Uh, I started out in my career as a federal prosecutor, and then I moved over to the internet space as an early employee of eBay and started their trust and safety department. You know, and, and there, you know, sort of created all the rules around what can you what can you sell on eBay? Can you sell guns, alcohol? What about ticket scalping and the like? So yeah, uh, and then uh, I've been a general counsel for the last ten years. You know, the last four at Airbnb. Uh, but a lot of it is about uh, about rules. And but what really struck me just in the last few years is uh, it feels like the world's changing. Uh, you know, for a long time, companies you know were, were focused on one thing, and that's you know shareholder value or you know making money. And it, the world needs more from companies. The world, I think, is expecting more from leaders because. I think we're losing confidence in the ability of government to solve a lot of the big problems. Oh, yeah. And we want more from companies. And if we want more from companies and we need companies to step up, um, we need companies to be thinking bigger, not just about hitting a quarterly number, but about doing the right thing and solving some of the world's biggest problems. So that shift that I've seen just in the last couple of years really got me focused on that question of, you know, how do you drive integrity into the culture of a company? And the more I looked at it uh, as a general counsel, uh, you know, from the, the prospect, you know, the, from the side of, well, how do I protect the company legally? The more interested I got in it as a broader concept of, you know, uh, why is this so important for the world? And wow, we really need this. And that caused me to want to shift over and put my full energy into it. Cool. I love that you saw that and, you know, you you sound like someone who gets the broader game here. And I think that what a lot of people in ethics positions realize is that the rules are important, the structure and the policies are important, but it's really a means to an end. And I think for us, the, the end is people, right? It's making things better for people, whether it's you know the company succeeding in their mission or just the employees having a safe and equitable place to work. Um, and you know, there's, I think to your point, there's usually something beyond just setting the rules that you need to do to get employees to engage in that, huh? Yeah, people don't get too excited about this idea of compliance just for the sake of compliance, just for the sake of checking a box and following the law. You know, where, where they get engaged is they're passionate about making the world a better place. Yep. They're passionate about, you know, when they come to work every day, making a difference themselves and doing the right thing. Uh, and I think, that's, I think, the magic of this of this whole area. Um, employees excited about really being aligned with their values and the values of the place where they work. And the same thing with consumers. You know, I, I think we're in an age of conscious consumerism. And that is, you know, consumers want to buy from companies that they respect. They want to buy from companies that stand for the same things in the world that they stand for. And if they see a misalignment, uh, you know, they're speaking up. And they're moving the money. So for me, this is not only about following the law or doing the right thing. It's about having a business that's sort of in sync with the broader world. Uh, mm -hmm. And as such, I think also being a, a better, more financially successful business. Yeah. And all those things tie together, right, Rob? And I think there's this cool thing that um, I feel like I've been noticing where uh, you know, I, I wasn't there, so I may be idealizing it, but, you know, a hundred years ago, everything was very local, right? You knew your local butcher and the farmer who, who brought the, uh, the vegetables to town and things like that. Um, and, you know, 
over the intervening years, the, the average scale of an organization has grown and the reach that the internet provides us has grown. And it seems like the pendulum kind of swung toward, okay, things are kind of getting faceless and everything's kind of consolidated into um, you know so, some larger players across geographies. Um, but I, it feels like there's something human about the need to have that connection and companies that kind of you know maybe outgrew that connection and didn't have the systems in place to do it are realizing that we need to have that connection to our employees and to our consumers and to our customers and it needs to be authentic and i think there's a lot you talk about in intentional integrity about being authentic and doing that um but do you, do you think that's at play here that you know kind of companies have gotten bigger and they need to find a way to be like have more heart well, I think the world's the pendulum swing, swinging back in that respect. I think the world is getting more and more connected, even yeah. as you know, as human beings, we we are behind a, a computer a little more, and particularly to you know today with the pandemic, um, we miss authentic human connection. You know, we miss the idea that, that there's actually a leader sitting in a room with us, not on a video chat, yeah. uh, and and having an honest conversation with us about about things that that resonate in our hearts. And to me, that's a lot of intentional integrity, that, that direct, open, authentic, honest conversation uh, between employees and leaders, and then again, between leaders and even their customers. Uh, I think the world's missing that, but we've got to get there as a world. You know, the, the world is, we are now so connected uh, that it's impossible for us just to stay in our own lanes, in our own silos anymore, because what happens in one part of the world? has a significant impact on everybody else. You know, you see it with climate change. You see it with this global pandemic. You even see it with something like racial injustice, how mm -hmm. injustice to one group of people um, actually touches all of us and really, I think, stirs in us the desire to do something about it. So um, I think the lanes are becoming blurred as we get more and more connected. And that means trust, and then the great driver of trust, integrity, becomes more and more important. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. You talk about this in the book and um, talk about how important trust is and, you know, whether it's always been important and we're talking about it more or it's being prioritized more, that trust um, seems to be part of the zeitgeist and the conversation more. Um, talk a little bit about how integrity drives that trust and what do you think people who are, you know, maybe missing that connection or not focusing on enough, what, what do you think they don't get about that? Well, there's an interesting uh, thing called the Edelman Trust Barometer. Mm -hmm. uh, this organization goes out and interviews people, tens of thousands of people all around the world every year to get their input on the, and their views on different uh, societies, institutions. The 2020 results were striking. Trust has never been lower, and it's across the board. People have very low trust in government. They have low trust in the media. They have low trust in even nonprofits and religious organizations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, who are they looking to in order to help uh, resolve this and to try to build trust? They're looking more and more to the place that they work and to their own leaders. And they're looking to CEOs generally help solve some of the world's biggest problems that they are now increasingly worried about. Now, how do you build trust? Well, the study talked uh, talk to people about that. The two ways you build trust, Giovanni, one is competence. So demonstrate to somebody that you're good at what you do, and that builds trust. The other is integrity. Do you believe that the other person genuinely wants to do the right thing and will follow through on their commitments? Of the two, Integrity is three times as important as competence. Wow. So trust is a critical currency if we're going to get things done. So if we want to build that in the world, we've got to focus on integrity as a critical part of it. Yeah, that's a great point that outsized impact of integrity, it's three times more important than competence in building trust. And you know, I imagine if either of them is zero, you're not going to get to trust. Um, but that right. and you're not going to get things done. It's a it's yeah. fundamental to human connection, right? The, the way that people get things done. You know, look when you think about it. So a lot of businesses are built on trust. You know, Airbnb and eBay, you know, two places yeah. that I spent a lot of my career. They're in the trust business. 
They're in the business of getting two people who are total strangers to get comfortable enough with each other to do a business transaction. Yeah. And when trust is low, everybody suffers. Yeah, that's such a great point. And I love that you've had experience in both of those businesses. And um, I think you bring a really relevant and inspiring lens to that, that those are trust businesses, right? People, you know, I think that what I've seen kind of written up in Forbes or something would be that, oh, this is a two-sided market and they're taking efficiencies out of purchasing or, or uh, you know, they have this platform with some ratings in it. But uh, I love the perspective that you bring that it's really about building trust, right? And that's what, that's what so much of a company does, right? Because, you know, uh, I could go out and go source a bunch of things myself and, you know, buy some wood and, and, and chop it up. But I trust that this company is going to deliver this product, this furniture or whatever it's going to be better. You know, I can trust them to do that. And uh, it's worth kind of giving them my money up front to see, you know, to, to see if I'm going to get what I count on. And I love yeah. that you bring that lens to these businesses that uh, part of, you know, I, I think that this is a, a really cool way to look at this. Part of the problem before eBay or before e, uh, Airbnb was not just that I couldn't find a place to stay. It's that I couldn't find a place to stay that I trusted. And uh, trust. as a company, yeah. you, you really kind of figured that problem out. And, you know, for some reason, you know, the, the business write-ups in the Wall Street Journal, they talk a lot about the competence and they built this software and they have this functionality, but that integrity is really what I think differentiates the winners from the losers, right? Because eBay had a bunch of competitors mm -hmm. a long time ago uh, that were doing online marketplaces and there are some that still do it in some way, but they became a clear winner, I think, partially because they built that trust. I think they also have, have suffered in comparison to Amazon. Because Amazon has built up trust as well. When you order something from Amazon, you have a high degree of confidence in what you're going to get. And you also know that you're going to get it in two days, right, with prime shipping. Sure. And I think one of the ways that Airbnb, that eBay suffered was that their marketplace wasn't as consistent, that there were some sellers that maybe weren't delivering on the promise the way that they needed to, mm -hmm. and you couldn't count on the shipping. And I think that hurt them. So okay. I think all, you know, all companies have to have to understand uh, that trust is critical to building their business and realize they've got stakeholders beyond just their investors. Uh, if you if you're investor focused, you're thinking about hitting a quarterly number. If you're stakeholder focused, you're thinking, OK, the quarterly number is important, but how are our other stakeholders doing? And right. there are going to be times where you're going to need to invest a little bit in your other stakeholders in order to keep the business strong for the long run. Yeah. Uh, and it's great that the world is kind of waking up to that stakeholder model. Um, you know, it's always made sense to me. I came, you know, I grew up in a family business and, you know, knew the people who worked on our team and, you know, those, uh, the customers that our family took care of were, you know, part of our life. So I've always kind of, uh, you know, I think my, my parents taught, taught me that perspective. And then I went off to school and they taught me, you know, you know, shareholder return rules the day. Um, you know, you bring up in intentional integrity, how that business roundtable and all those, uh, I don't know, maybe 180 CEOs agreeing on one thing. <laughs> Imagine that, uh, people are kind of yeah. waking up to this concept of the, that, uh, kind of broader stakeholder balance. Um, but you also brought up this point about kind of the shift in eBay where the standards of trust change over time and the standards of what right. is required, uh, from integrity that you as an organization need to bring internally and externally. Um, those change over time, right? Like when eBay started, their level of, you know, consistency or not was fine. And then when someone can beat that, you know, people, consumers get used to, hey, you know what, I'd like to uh, be able to rely on two-day shipping or whatever it is. Um, how, do, you, right. do you feel like that is applying in the corporate integrity context that there's oh, yeah. a higher demand for integrity than there used to be? No question. And I think it's also important that trust is hard to gain and easy to lose. Okay. So, it's it's almost a constant struggle, right? You have to you have to recognize that there's always there are always forces that are that are pushing against you yep. when you're developing trusting relationships, and you can work really hard on integrity, and then you know one one mistake, uh, one problem uh, can can be a tremendous setback. So uh, it's it's important to do, but it's also it, it, it has to be a recognition that you need to be intentional about it. In integrity and trust, they, those aren't things that just happen. 
uh, yeah. because you know you you uh, you wake up in the morning and you, you're you actually have to to chart a course about it. You have to figure out you know as a business what's your purpose, why do you exist, what do you, what is good for the world about what you're doing, and then actually you know be thinking about well who are my stakeholders and how are they doing. And what am I going to do intentionally to, to to make sure that they're successful too? And then when you're inside of a company, you know, your employees are a critical stakeholder. Um, you need to have an honest conversation with them about, like, how are we going to treat each other? You know, how are we going to make sure that we're all coming to work every day and able to do our best work and not uh, waylaid by, uh, you know, people that, that might be engaging in sexual harassment? or yeah. discriminating, or taking advantage of certain things uh, with a conflict of interest. Yeah, that's such a great point. You you know, you talk, I, I really like your emphasis in the book that this is not just integrity, this is intentional integrity. And your company, your leadership, even your broad, your, you know, your broader employee base need to decide, discuss, and agree on you know, what, what integrity means for your organization. And it really takes some intentionality, doesn't it? It does. And I've been guilty over uh, earlier in my career. I didn't give much thought to it as I should have. You know, the old way of driving integrity into the culture of your company, uh, you know, you, you think, well, well, we'll get a code of ethics. But how do people get codes of ethics? Well, you know, often they go online, find somebody else's code of ethics, copy it, and then they put their own logo on top, put their own name in the body of it, and then they email it out to the whole company and say, hey, check a box saying you've read this. Right. Um, you know, it's ironic, right, that you're stealing a code of ethics from somebody else. Uh, it, <laughs> you're right. Right? And then, you know, you, um, you know the, the idea of checking a box and sending it out in an email doesn't send a very powerful message about how important it is. You know, you throw the, the poster on the wall. You know, maybe it's one of those fancy compliance posters that's laminated with a tiny little mm -hmm. four-point font in the break room. Oh, yeah. Or those maybe it's one of those – oh, those are great, right? Have you ever <laughs> seen anybody read one of those things? If, if, a, if a, a group of employees ever crowded around one of those posters like they were reading it, it would send the legal and HR departments into a panic. No one reads <laughs> those, right? Yeah, you hope they don't read it, right? And the, right. And then, and then you've got the sexual harassment thing. Legally required compliance, right? But they're created by a third party, and people. So I hear the complaints all the time. They're just click, 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 throwing those yeah. things because they know they've got to get through it. They're waiting. They know that the box has to be checked, but the message doesn't really hit them in the heart. Why not? Because some third party created that video, and you can't outsource integrity. You've hmm. got to actually own it inside of a company. So if you want to make a real difference about things around sexual harassment, why don't you have a leader stand up and talk about it? So to give you an example, one of the things we did at Airbnb, yeah. I would go into all yeah. of the, the orientation classes and do them myself. We have orientation every week at Airbnb where all the new employees for that week would come into San Francisco and sit in, uh, sit in a series of 20 to 30 classes. And I would teach them one on integrity. and in the class, we actually talk to people about romantic relationships in the office. Now, now imagine actually having a, a conversation with employees about it. So I'll, I'll tell you three things that, that we talked about. Um, number one, our executive team at Airbnb committed that they would not engage in any romantic relationship with anyone in the company. Why? Well, even consensual. Right? Well, the reason is because it's hard to have a consensual relationship when there's that kind of power imbalance in the workplace, sure. mm -hmm. right? If a, a member of an executive team asks you uh, to engage in some sort of a romantic encounter with them, your first thought's going to be, what happens if I say no? Mm -hmm. And that's a, that is a terrible position to ever be put in. And yeah, then it when spoils these that entire wrong, consent. That's right. Well, the consent is questionable to begin with. Yeah. And then when things go bad, it inevitably creates issues in the workplace, and it's been known to ruin careers and end up in headlines. So the executive team at Airbnb, they, we just looked around the room and talked to each other about it and said, you know what? It's not worth it. You know, we're all in romantic relationships anyway with someone outside the office. We're going to keep it that way. So we just made a rule. 
We're not going to engage in any romantic relationship with any employee or any vendor. The second thing is that managers at Airbnb, if you're a people leader, you may not engage in any romantic relationship with anyone on your team for the same reasons, right? Because you actually have power over someone in the employment context, and you don't want to put someone in that awkward position of mixing the two from a power yeah, dynamic. Same differential right? in a local context, right? Right. And the third is we have an ask out once rule at Airbnb. Well, what does that mean? That means if you are not governed by rule number one or number two, then you can engage in romantic relationships with other employees in the company, but you ask someone out once, propose it once. If you get a no, you have to drop it. You may not ask the person again. So even if they say, oh, you know, would love to do it, but I've got friends coming in from out of town, you have to drop it. You can't ask the person out again. You can hope that maybe they're going to ask you out with their one ask. Okay. Uh, but the point behind it is you don't want people to feel like they're, they're duck, ducking people in the workplace. Like they're going to have to, oh, no, I'm gonna, that person, they're going to ask me out again. They're being chased. So it's a respectful ask once. If you get a no, you have to move on. And when we outline this at orientation, you know, Giovanni, uh, it, the reaction is really quite something. I had a woman come up to me a few months ago. She literally had a tear coming down her cheek. And I asked her, what's wrong? And she said, Rob, my last company, my boss kept propositioning me. And it was a big internet company in the Valley. And she said he wouldn't let it go. And she said, I had to leave the company because I knew that if I reported it, nothing was going to happen. Wow. She said, you have no idea what it means to come to a new company and to have a leader, an executive team leader, come talk to us about something like this, because I know that it matters. And if I have a problem like that at Airbnb, I know I have a place to go. Wow. Setting How things up that? like that right up front. How great is that, right? But that's what we talk, that's what we mean when we talk about intentionality around integrity. Having that open, authentic conversation, tell people that it's important. Don't rely on a third party to get the point across in some sort of a legal video. Tell them yourself. And then people really appreciate it. That resonates in this world. Yeah, that's so uh, it's so powerful and visceral to hear, you know, one person's perspective on that, how bad it was in another scenario. Uh, I mean, I, how terrible is that? You're, you know, you've worked right. for a job, you get recruited, you're working hard at it, you're building your track record, building your relationships, and you have to leave that job and start over. I mean, thankfully, she found a much better job at Airbnb, right? <laughs> But you got to leave and start yeah, over you, because you, of the way you're treated and because the leadership didn't care to step up and say, hey, this is not okay for anybody to do. You hope you create a virtuous cycle. You know, you hope that, that she'll tell her friends. And hopefully over time, the company gets a reputation of, look, Airbnb is a great place to work. You don't have to deal with that sort of a problem at Airbnb. Um, they really care about creating a workplace environment. Uh, where you can do your best. Uh, that in turn makes for a stronger company. And that's what you're trying to create with intentional integrity. Yeah, I love it. So uh, just a point of caution for our listeners, uh, in case you haven't read Intentional Teg Integrity yet, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Rob, but your example of your dating rules, I would, I would presume that you would say, don't just steal those rules and slap those on a wall or a policy and assume that they should work for your company. That was something that was specific to uh, you know, your culture and what you wanted to commit to. Right. And, um, you know, part, I think part of the message is intentional integrity is specific and not just kind of, hey, here's a new blanket rule that uh, we should adopt because it's cool. Every company, I think, needs its own unique set of rules or that are actually tied to its purpose. So I'll give you another example, you know, conflict of interest uh, and gifts. Now, at a lot of companies, you always have vendors or salespeople trying to give you gifts, trying to influence you. What can you accept and what should you be turning down? Right. So different companies can have different approaches and both can be ethical. Take Walmart. Walmart uh, has a rule around what its employees can accept in the way of you know, gifts from third parties. They can accept nothing, zero. That means I've been in a meeting with someone from Walmart where you offer them water, they pull a dollar out of their pocket when you give them a bottle. Okay. <laughs> and the, why does Walmart have such a strict rule like that? Sure. Walmart's mission is low prices every day. 
for their customers. They believe that if their employees are accepting gifts from vendors, then ultimately the cost of those gifts is going to be reflected in the cost of the goods sold to Walmart. Yep. So in order to, to, to accomplish their mission, they take a, a hard line about that. Airbnb, on the other hand, is in the hospitality business. They're yep. in the business of helping people get together from different backgrounds, different cultures, share a drink, share a meal, get to know each other, and increase this sense of belonging, as they call it at Airbnb. Well, for that, Airbnb doesn't mind the idea that someone might buy you a cup of coffee or buy you lunch. So yep. Airbnb's rule is you can accept an ordinary business courtesy, like a meal, maybe even going out to a ball game together, as long as the value of the gift doesn't exceed $200. Yeah. So different companies can take different approaches to things, and it needs to be informed by your particular culture. Yeah, I think it's great that you bring that up and, um, you know, really encourage our listeners to pick up Intentional Integrity and read it because, Rob, you give a bunch of great anecdotes, which, you know, again, caveat, these are not meant to be, you know, taken as uh, from whole cloth and just uh, uh, stamped onto everyone's organization. But, you know, you give an example about that that $200 limit and when something came up with a recruiter that like wasn't contemplated in it. And it's really it's really great not only that you provide the example, but you also talk about the culture that you had that you and the leaders and really everyone at Airbnb had built where you start having a discussion about, well, what should we do about this? And people are engaged in trying to figure out the right thing rather than just pulling the rules off the wall and saying, what does this say? OK, it's not forbidden. Let's move on. Right. You want a culture where people aren't afraid to speak up and talk about things. I'll give you a, a, another story that didn't make it into the book because the, the story didn't finish until after the, the, I had turned the manuscript in. Mm -hmm. um, we really emphasize this culture of um, speaking up if you see something um, and, and wanting to reward that. Okay. So uh, I was working at my desk one day. We have Airbnb. We have these open work environments right, where you have the, you're, I was at a stand-up desk and in a, in a large room with a lot of other people who were also working in this open environment. And I'm at my desk and uh, I, I work near the IT security area. So okay. one of the IT mid-managers mid comes over to me and says, Rob, um, I noticed that when you left your computer a little while ago uh, and you left your desk area, you didn't uh, lock your computer. You didn't turn off your screen. Mm-hmm. He said, you really ought to be, you really ought to be uh, more careful. You know what? A lot of like executives, high level executives might look at a mid-level manager in that situation and what might they say, right? Yeah. They might say, yeah, yeah, right. Thanks. But <laughs> yeah. Okay. Move on. Go tell my, somebody else. Move I'm, on. I'm the boss. Yeah. Go help somebody else. I'm the boss <laughs> here. Right. But right. I was, and, and of course your initial reaction is you're taken back a little bit, but I thought about yeah. it for a second and realized, first of all, he's right. I had, I had gone to the restroom. I was gone for five minutes. I grabbed a drink. I came back. My computer screen should have been locked. He was definitely yeah. right. But number two, I thought, what an act of courage this was for a yes. mid-level manager to come up to a senior executive at a company and point something out. So I thanked him and told him he was absolutely right, and I appreciated it. He then actually showed me a little trick on the keyboard where with one button, I could press it and lock it and make it easy. Okay. And I thanked yeah. him. And then I thought about it. And we have an award uh, that we use at, at the integrity area at Airbnb. It's called, they're called Integrity Yetis. They're very nice Yeti water bottles. They're uh -huh. metal. Uh, they've got logo, the integrity belongs here slogan from Airbnb. And we give yeah. them out when we feel that someone's done something that demonstrates integrity. The next time I got into a group setting, several hundred people in the room, I noticed he was there. I called him up and gave him an integrity yeti and told everybody in the room the story and complimented and said, this is a great example of the kind of environment we want at Airbnb, where people aren't afraid to speak up if they see something that's not being done. He got a huge round of applause from the group, okay? Now, a year and a half later, I get an email. He, the email is entitled, you know, a, you know, a warning vulnerability moment. He then sends me a long email telling me that his proudest moment in six years at Airbnb was getting that integrity Eddie, in front of the group for what he had done. Six years of work at the company as a mid-level manager, that was his proudest moment. $30 water bottle, right? Yeah. But it, it goes to show that people love to be appreciated 
And they love to be appreciated and recognized when they do something that has integrity like that. And if you encourage an environment of transparency and an environment where you're not afraid to raise your hand, you're going to get a lot of great benefits. Yeah, that's such a great story. I love that you shared it with us. And um, it's so powerful, not just, you know, I mean, there's so many elements to it, right? You having the awareness and the humility to say, okay, yeah, you know, that was my bad. Um, and then, you know, recognizing him, um, you know, that, that sends a great message to the whole organization around, hey, this is what we care about. And that stuff you see on the poster and in the, you know, that you may remember three years ago when you took your onboarding or whatever, we actually care about mm -hmm. it. Um, and what a great chance to make an impact on that guy's life. Um, you know, I mean, six years, I mean, uh, I, I won't, I won't even try to do the math on the hours that he spent over those six years, but you know, that, I don't know, three to five minutes of recognition for him is something that right. is seared in his mind as I did something right. This company cares about it. They recognize it. I love working here. And you send the message to all 250 people that are in the room hearing the story as well. So, um, little things. It does, you know, having uh, having integrity doesn't require a big budget. You know? uh, okay. All it requires is a leadership that's bought in to acting that way and thinking about it in their day to day work uh, and, and creating that that culture, that mindset. Um, it's a it's an effort thing, not a budget thing. Okay, so let's talk about that. That's something I really wanted to get your perspective on because it seems that. Um, you really drove a, you know, some adoption and some stickiness around this culture where integrity belongs here. And I think that a lot of ethics leaders are bat battling two different issues, which we can maybe talk about in series. One is budgets are tight. It's hard to get all this done. It, we don't have a lot of kind of mind share. We, it's hard to get in front of people. It's expensive to get seat time for training and things like that. So uh, they look at budget as the constraint. Um, so I'd like to talk about that first because, you know, I'm sure you got a great ROI on that $30 Yeti bottle, uh, but that, you know, um, but, but that's maybe not how people look at it. So I'd love to talk about the, the potential or the perceived budget constraint um, and then maybe move on to uh, leadership being bought in because I think that's a huge lever in the intentional integrity that you're talking about. Well, sure, because it, if leadership's bought in, all things are possible. If yeah. the CEO of the company doesn't care about integrity, and isn't committed to acting that way, then you're probably you're probably wasting your time because yeah. everyone will know that if the leader of the company isn't bought into it, then that means they don't have to buy into it either. Okay. Um, you know, a, a, sometimes a lack of resources can actually be uh, the the uh, the incentive or the push to be more creative. So I'll give you an example. You know, we got a company of. Uh, you know, back back at the time I started this, over 6,000 people in 25 offices around the world and one chief ethics officer. Now, how in the world is one chief ethics officer ever going to have a major impact on integrity in a company that's that far flung with that many employees? They're not going to give me a staff that's a giant staff. So what do you do? So one, th one idea that that was ended up being very popular and successful was we created this program of ethics advisors. So what okay. we did was we, we recognized that what I needed wasn't one ethics chief ethics officer. What I needed was 6,000 chief ethics officers. I needed everybody to feel like they were connected to it. But if the program's owned by legal or owned by HR, well, you know, people can be a little afraid sometimes of going to talk to legal and HR. Sure. So why not bring the program to them? So what we did was we created this program where we would have an ethics advisor or ambassador for each significant sized office in Airbnb in each significant group. So marketing would have an ethics advisor. We would have several ethics advisors in customer support. We got one in finance. We've got one in the London office, one in the, in the office in Tokyo. And we bring them in. We do training around the code of ethics. We get people that are really enthusiastic and bought into the idea of operating with integrity. People that are respected in the company, but not so senior that they're scary. Then send them out. They get integrity jackets that they wear. The team knows that they are the ethics advisor. And now instead of going to legal or HR or a hotline, they can actually go to somebody that's on their team that they know. And what we found was um, 
people are actually a lot more comfortable going to ethics advisors than to other places. And I remember in the first quarter of this past year, we had nearly 100 inquiries to ethics advisors. Many of these inquiries never would have come to the company's attention through an ethics hotline or through um, you know, going and waiting for HR to get involved. And by doing this, um, ethics now becomes built into each individual group and each individual team. Now there's somebody who's thinking about ethics on every team. And the great thing about it now, the program is so popular, we've got over 50 people who have already applied to want to join the team. So we've got the ability to expand this out. But these people have all got their day jobs, so it doesn't actually cost an ethics team anything. This is free resources just from the enthusiasm of people in the culture. Wow, that's so great. I think that that's it's maybe a little bit counterintuitive and to your point, kind of some of that creativity of getting some of those allies in some of these other uh, business units on board. Um, but it's much more of an organic kind of groundswell approach to finding some people who want to be part of it, um, who are in those business units rather than trying to kind of push it down through the leadership and saying, hey, I'm interested in ethics. You're in marketing. You should care about ethics the way that I do. Right. Exactly. Which they should. Yeah. Now but we've got that leader versus kind of groundswell dynamic that seems really effective there. Well, yeah, now we've, we've got just this uh, spread throughout the company a number of people that really deeply care about ethics that are going that are champions for it. And they're, they're always on the lookout for ways that they can uh, make sure that we're all thinking about doing the right thing on a regular basis. You got to get buy in, you got to get people bought in, um, get them co-opted and then they will, uh, they will spread the word for it. Yeah, that's great. It's really cool that you did that. And uh, I, I could definitely see how you can, you know, start multiplying your impact through that group, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of they they can kind of be the quote unquote early adopters of the um, the integrity program and help spread that to some of their friends in their own division. That's right. That's the that's the thinking. Um, so, kind of outside of getting creative, um, I th I think that a lot of compliance leaders, they're kind of the choir, right? When we're talking about this stuff, and this is a lot of our audience, you know, ethics experts, they're, you know, we're preaching to the choir when we say that this stuff matters, but everyone has their own constraints. And I've had some, uh, you know, discussions with people, you know, especially on LinkedIn about, hey, that's great, but the leadership doesn't want to do this. They see this as a check the box. They see this as a back office activity that we just got to do what we have to do. How would you advise, you know, mid-level or even senior ethics experts to lead this in a positive direction toward intentional integrity if their leader is maybe not as enthusiastic about this as you are, Rob? Well, I think the, the good news is that there's a lot of data piling up out there now about how companies that lead with integrity, that operate with integrity, actually outperform the market and they outperform their peers. So you know, this would be a harder sell if we had to go in and say, well, you know, we all want to be doing the right thing here, so we're going to do the right thing even if it costs us some money and it, it means that we have to curtail business a little. Right. That's a tougher sell. The good news is that's not what the data shows at all. So a lot of times the kind of people that, are, that, that think of it as a back office activity are thinking about compliance, and they're thinking about uh, the old way, really, of business, 20th century business. 21st century business is a stakeholder approach business, one that, that recognizes that companies can build very powerful brands with their employees and with their customers, and as such can drive more business. So let me give you an example of how doing good uh, for the world and for your stakeholders is actually good for your business. Um, yeah. There's a company called Etsy. Uh, Etsy is an online marketplace for handcrafted goods, uh, sellers and buyers, uh, in many ways similar to eBay. So Etsy was became concerned about climate change, like you know, so many of us are. Now Etsy doesn't itself do any shipping, you know, it like on eBay, the, yeah. the person that made the goods is actually the one shipping them to the buyer. But Etsy realized, look, we're a platform; we are indirectly causing this shipping. And the shipping is dumping carbon into the air. 
So they decided to do something about it. So they partnered with this company called Three Degrees. Yeah. And Three Degrees works with companies to help them figure out their carbon impact and in a very economical way through you know uh, partnering multiple companies together helps with projects like helps build a wind farm or helps a, a solar field in different parts of the world helps offset carbon imprint so what etsy was actually able to do was calculate the carbon impact of the shipping mm -hmm. and at a cost of one cent per transaction one cent they were able to offset the carbon from the shipping so what they did was they absorbed the cost and then they put in their um, their checkout that the shipping cost associated with uh, shipping on Etsy is offset by the company. And what they found was that business actually went up 1% just as a result of putting that into their shopping cart at the end. So in other words, they made more money than it cost to do the right thing. Yeah, 1% of the transaction made, is more than the cent that they were putting More than one there. cent. But this is an That's example exactly of you right. can actually do well by doing good. Imagine that. <laughs> we're, we're in an age of conscious consumerism. This resonates with consumers. So what you can do, I think, is go back to leaders and start showing them data. And there's, you know, you, you can just go online and Google data around this. I know Accenture did a big report about this recently, about how companies with a purpose, companies that are acting, perceived to be acting with integrity, are actually outperforming the market and they're stronger businesses. So that's the way I think to reach people that are still operating in the old in the old way of thinking that look, this is good for business. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of uh, you're kind of foolish not to adopt some of these practices. You know, I think that a lot of people should have been doing this before, but you know, maybe consumers weren't demanding it or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, there's, it's great that there are data available to show that this makes a positive difference and this is not a, hey, let's just kind of give up some profit margin. This is let's invest in compliance and ethics because it's part of our strategy to succeed in this new world that we're in. That's why I use the word integrity in the title of the book. That in and of itself was intentional because I think the word compliance has sort of unfortunately gotten associated with that check the box. You know, yeah, do what, do this because you have to, because it's legal. Same thing with ethics. I think the word integrity has sort of a deeper sort of human emotional connotation to it. Um, and so I think that, you know, using that word to talk about this might help people get out of that old mindset toward compliance. Right, because who's going to be opposed to in integrity? You're not even allowed to say that you are, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, I, you know, I walk into rooms and, at the beginning of talks, ask who has integrity. Well, everybody raises their hand. We all think that we've got integrity. We all yeah. we all feel we see the world through our own eyes. We all frankly give ourselves we cut ourselves a break. None of us are perfect, but we all want to be thought of well by others. We want to be perceived to have integrity, and I think uh, that's something that sometimes blinds us to our own flaws, um, but it can also be a pretty powerful motivator to challenge ourselves. Like. We want to be a business that operates with integrity. What would a business of integrity do when confronted with a problem like this? Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the integrity trap. I love that you build the, that you bring that up, and I think that there are kind of two sides of this. There's a trap that employees can fall into to thinking that they have more integrity than you know. Not to say that they are low integrity, but they make some decisions that they may not notice um, are uh, are you know, kind of violate that. Um, and I, I also think that some ethics and, and integrity focused leaders may underappreciate how hard it is for employees to notice those differences. So may, I love how in the book you talk about the integrity trap. Um, give us, you know, uh, give us a little overview of that so that so that people can uh, start start thinking about that a little bit. Well, you know, we all want to see we all see ourselves through our own uh, our own eyes. Uh, and like I spent some time talking to Dan Ariely uh, at Duke University. He studies dishonesty. And, you know, what he learned was that we all fudge. We all give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We're all willing to do a little bit extra, put the thumb on the scale for ourselves. But we're only willing, we'll only do it so far, at least initially, 
Um, we'll only do it a little bit because we still want to feel good about ourselves at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the issue is once people start putting the thumb on the scales toward themselves and once they start fudging and nothing bad happens and they get away with it, what happens? Well, scientifically, the brain actually gets, it convinces itself that it's okay. And that leads to the next problem. And the next problem, it really is a, a, the notion of a slippery slope. Yeah. Who is most vulnerable here? Well, data shows that the more creative the workplace and the more intelligent the workplace, the more vulnerable they are to these sorts of integrity trap things. So, and that's because if you're really creative, you can actually talk yourself into something even more readily. You can always come up with a reason why something is okay, right? So, you know, I, I tell the story in the, in the book about uh, when I was a young kid, my mom, uh, my mom and I came out of a grocery store and she looked at the money in her hand and said, we got to go back inside. And I didn't know what she was talking about, but we went back inside and she's talking to the clerk and the clerk was so gracious and so enthusiastic and so appreciative that my mother had come back in. It turned out the clerk had given my mom too much change. Yeah. And my mom was going back in to return it, right? So a classic integrity trap would be to say, you've got the money in your hand, you're in your car, you look at the money and say, oh, they gave me too much, but you know something? I spend a lot of money at that store. I'm always spending money at that store. They make a lot of money from me anyway. They're a big company, right? Um, yeah. It was their mistake. I'm sure they've, they've given me too little change at some point in the past. Um, it's okay. You can yeah, come they up probably, with 10 they reasons. They probably have not, this as part of their books that they write it, They write off some of this. These kind of mistakes happen, so let's just let it go this time. Oh, you can come up with a dozen reasons not to walk back into that store. Yeah. But there's one good reason why you should do it, and that is because it doesn't belong to you. Yep. Thing. And by the way, there's another good reason. And back then, as my mom taught me a lesson. And a lesson that I still, you know, to this day, in fact, I went out, uh, I was actually at a store the other day and realized that they had given me two of something instead of one. And I had only paid for one, but the clerk had accidentally put something, had gone to get it and then forgotten that they had gotten it and put it in a separate bag. I went back to the store, drove back to the store. You wouldn't believe the reaction I got from the person. Stunned. Like, so grateful that I had come back to return something that wasn't mine. It sent such a message, I think. Um, but that's the sort of thing that I think is important for us all to do is recognize what the right thing to do is and not fall into the integrity trap of trying to talk ourselves into the fact that it's okay. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard, I've heard it said that a whisper from the top is a scream at the bottom. And if you kind of look at the traditional way to orient uh, an org chart and you see those leaders at the top, a leader exhibiting that and saying, you know, like, like your uh, integrity Yeti example and saying, Hey, I messed this up and this colleague pointed it out and that's great those types of whispers from the top are just you know just a small endorsement of this uh culture can really make a big difference and everyone everyone takes a lot of cues from that right people notice it integrity is contagious it's interesting but if people around you particularly in leadership positions if you notice people around you acting with integrity then you will feel compelled to act with integrity too because you want to feel good about yourself. You don't want to feel like you're a worse person than everyone else around you. So integrity really is contagious. Unfortunately, a lack of integrity is also contagious because it creates the, the, the fuel for people to fall into the integrity trap uh, uh, where they can tell themselves that it's okay. Because look, everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. So uh, I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, and it can become, you know, there's a lot of momentum in this, right? You know, we talked about building, um, I, sorry, I forget what, what you called them, but your your uh, integrity ambassadors across different businesses. Ethics events. advisors, yeah. Ethics advisors, yeah. Yeah, the ethics advisors. Um, and you can build momentum with that. And there's a thing about building a culture of integrity where it can kind of take on its, its own momentum. And you don't have to just be pushing it and trying to jam it down people's throats in, you know, a half hour session once a year. Um, but if you can get this kind of flywheel going where the the intentions that you have and the integrity that, that you espouse and live out start to be picked up by people, well, then the work starts to do, you know, the team starts to do the work for you, um, and it can be really positive. But to your point, uh, if a bunch of people see that, oh, well, that rule is not enforced or this is selectively enforced based on how much the boss likes you, then – 
you end up kind of shooting yourself in the foot by making this rule that everyone knows, you know, okay, well, the rules aren't the rules, just the rules that people enforce are the rules. Uh, that, that flywheel goes both ways. When you get things going and people, you know, when you've talked about integrity and ethics, you've followed through when there's been a problem, you've rewarded people when they've spoken up, it's a powerful flywheel in the right direction. But boy, if you, if you uh, give people uh, slack who are top performers, a top salesperson is allowed to break the rules, you ignore things that you really can't ignore, the flywheel is even more powerful, it seems, going downhill. Yeah, which maybe kind of speaks to that point that, um, you know, one mess up from one employee can ruin a bunch of effort in the right direction, right? Well, it can. And that's why I think, you know, you, you need to put focus on those. But look, every company, every company makes mistakes. No mm-hmm. one's perfect. So when the inevitable mistake does occur, the critical response has got to be, you know, self-awareness. It's got to be, okay. We messed up. We did something or someone did something that is inconsistent with our North Star, with our purpose. It's not what we want to stand for. It's not the way that we want to act. Um, we made a mistake here, but we've now got to double down. We've now got to recommit to, to uh, the way that we know is, is what we stand for. Um, so it just takes the courage of a leader to acknowledge that a mistake was made and then a recommitment to the right path. Because look, if, Integrity does not require perfection. If it did, none of us would have integrity. Hmm. Integrity requires defining that North Star, defining that purpose, committing to yourself that that's the way that you want to operate and that's the way that you want to live and really working and trying. But then when you fall down, looking at yourself and saying, oops, you know, I fell down. Uh, I need to get back on course again and then recommitting. That's the journey. I love that. Integrity doesn't require perfection, and uh, you know one of my uh, one of my heroes, Zig Ziglar, says or said that uh, drowning is doesn't happen by falling in the water; it happens by staying there. And if you know, <laughs> right, yeah. we inevitably stumble, and you know this stuff is going to happen, and no, you know, compliance or ethics or integrity or you know, uh, you know, legal defense is going to keep every bad thing from happening. But I love that you highlight how important that response is to owning it, acknowledging it, and recommitting. That's it. Um, so you, you talk about some of these leadership issues in the book, and you talk about you know, the, the strength of the leadership team and uh, their buy-in to this integrity and this culture and this commitment. Um, and you know, I, I, I imagine we can all you know, remember a story or have, have a personal experience where leaders were not as committed to that. Um, I, it seems like you were really fortunate to have, you know, kind of a an internal partner and leader in Brian who, you know, empowered you and wanted to push uh, after this. Um, you also talk about how some leaders are reticent to engage in this because they, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, rationalization or or just how they feel, they they don't want to be kind of pandering for attention or they don't want to kind of step on the wrong side of it or something like that. Um, how would you advise, you know, either business leaders or ethics experts who, you know, want to push for this but get some of those objections um, to kind of engage and kind of push past that to making progress instead of, you know, kind of uh, trying to let sleeping dogs lie? Well, you know, I look at it as, you know, this is my life's work. You know, where I go to work every day, uh, I put in a lot of hours. And I put in more than just hours. I put in my energy. And I, I – the brand of the place where I work is my personal brand. It's tied to the two. The two are really tied. So life's too short. My life's work is too important to waste at a company that isn't really committed to doing the right thing. So, I mean, for me, it's about choose carefully where you work, you know, ask questions, look around. Um, If you end up at a place that leadership really isn't bought in, you know, do your best to speak up, you know, with integrity. Um, and suggest a better path forward and make your case. And if you still just don't get, if you get the clear message that that's not what leadership really cares about, then uh, I think you need to look at, look around and find something else. Because I don't think that, um, I, I think it's hard to work at a, at a company that doesn't have integrity and yet maintain your own integrity. Yeah, I guess it kind of seeps in over time, doesn't it? 
Uh, I think over time it does. I think it wears down. It wears you down a bit. Uh, you know, I, I think you want to surround yourself with people that you're proud of. You want to surround yourself with uh, you know, a mission that that speaks to you. Uh, so, look, I, I would urge everybody uh, to find that because I think they're out there and they're again unique for each person. But uh, you know, find find something that speaks to you and to your values. I think work then feels less like work when you're doing it. Um, and I think, uh, you know, instead of wincing or looking the other way uh, with your work, you're actually, you know, nodding with some pride when you see what's going on around you. Yeah. How, no, how nice is that when you get that residence, right? And you're not, you're not <laughs> swimming against the tide so much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one other thing I wanted to touch on, and, uh, you know, I think you, you hit on this a few times in the book is just this issue of the multi-general work, the multi-generational workplace and the influence that, um, you know, I think it's often attributed to millennials, this conscious consumerism and people speaking up about this. Um, how, how would you use that shift in, you know, generations and the makeup of our workplace, um, to, you know, kind of maybe give us a call to action or give, uh, help us open up our, our minds as leaders of businesses or leaders of these programs to realize that this is, has moved from, you know, this is maybe my words, you can disagree with it, but this has moved from a nice to have to a, you should do it to either now or in the near future, you have to be operating with integrity to uh, not just compete, but survive in the workplace. How is that related to well, generational changes and the makeup of the workplace? Well, the world's forcing you to do it now, right? And I think the, you know, frankly, credit to a younger generation that I think has, has seen how, in many ways, my generation uh, has not acted with integrity. When it comes, when you look at something like climate change, uh, I think they see it and they aren't happy with it and they're pushing. Um, and I think today's world, you know, the internet gives them the tools to push, you know, information that was, you know, I had to look up, I, I still remember the bank of uh, Encyclopedia Britannica's on the okay. on a bookshelf in my parents' bedroom. Oh, that yeah. was how I got information, right? Mm -hmm. Today, information about how a company operates, how happy its employees are, um, you know, and what its, what's it, what its views are on things like racial justice and climate change, it's there at your fingertips. You can do it, you know, you can look it up in any company, find it in seconds. Yeah. And I think that that the the availability of that much information combined with the fact that the world's problems are getting bigger and more complicated um, is pushing everybody in that direction of, you know, we've got to start acting with integrity. We've got to start thinking about something that's broader than just our quarterly profit number. Um, and if we don't do it, employees are going to, are, are going to speak up. They're not going to stand for it. They're going to be on blind. They're going to be on glass door. They're going to be talking to each other on Slack. They're going to be blog posting like Susan Fowler did at Uber. They're yep. going to be walking out like they've done at Facebook and Amazon. Um, they're going to be speaking up like they did at Salesforce about you know, who the company even does business with. Um, so you, you simply can't ignore it. Um, you can't ignore your customers because your customers are going to speak out too. Look at what's happened to Goya. And, uh, you know, when their, when their CEO went to the White House uh, and praised President Trump, the, the Latino uh, customer base felt betrayed by, by the, the words of their CEO. Um, and, and now, you know, Goya's got a, a boycott they're facing that is a serious threat to their business. Um, just because look, people are no longer going to remain silent. They have the information at their fingertips. They see a need to, for, to speak up. They desire to have a positive change in the world, and they're going to do it. Yeah, and that's something that thankfully people are waking up to. And I think that, um, you know, the, the, the big stories help the profession of ethics experts, you know, pushing on this and kind of, you know, quite frankly, maybe just being ready for when the board or the executive wakes up is going to help. And, you know, I think that we all have our own role to play in living out integrity personally and trying to push that into our organizations. Right. Now, there's no question that all of us can have an impact in, in things that we do every day. Yeah. And uh, this is not going away. And you can ignore, you can call it, oh, it's cancel culture, it's the, it's a, the, the mob, uh, mob rule here. And in fairness, you know, I think sometimes 
uh, people are jumping to conclusions quickly and maybe aren't uh, being as thoughtful as they could be uh, in, in uh, decrying you know, bad behavior. So I think it's important to have empathy and uh, to, to think through your views. But uh, in the big picture, I think this is uh, actually a very important positive development. Uh, again, I, I refer to it as an integrity revolution that we're going through right now. Uh, and I think it's pushing the world in a very positive direction. Yeah, I really think it is. And it's great. You know, we talked about that pendulum swinging and it's great that, um, you know, uh, the the care and the authenticity and the integrity that, you know, I, I think in some cases you had to have when and, you know, companies were smaller and communities were tighter. Um, it's coming back in a different way to, you, you know, the the global stage that that we all operate in um, and companies are you know, realizing that that they have to they have to answer that call and they have to be part of the solution um, rather than just kind of ignoring it and hoping that it doesn't affect them. I think that's right. Uh, so uh, as we wrap up in the next couple of minutes, Rob, I would love to hear you. You just this book is just chock full of not just great lessons, not just inspiring or um, very instructive ways of how you made this work and really built a culture of integrity at Airbnb. Um, but also some great anecdotes and some great stories that uh, really drive home the fact that these are not just rules, these are experiences and these are cultural elements that um, you can put in place to really change the way that people view their workplace, um, engage in their culture and support integrity. I'd love to hear if you have you know, another anecdote or a favorite one that you wanna share with us. And if you love them all, like we all love all our, our kids equally, I'm happy to suggest <laughs> Well, you know what? Um, should I talk about videos? The, the, yeah, the, yeah, at Airbnb, great. I'm known no. as the video. I'm known as the video guy. People don't think of me even as the uh, as the general counsel. Uh, I'm known <laughs> as the video guy. So how, how, yeah. did, how did that happen? Well, it actually started with my kids. I was talking to my kids about the fact that everybody hated watching those long sexual harassment videos. Yep. And my daughter, my daughter said, "Yep, yeah, they made me watch one at the restaurant where I went to work this past summer." Um, and I said, "Well, what's the answer?" And you know, my, you know, my daughter looked at me and said, cup of tea. You should watch cup of tea. I said, what's cup of tea? She uh, then spent 50 minutes describing this short video to me that is an animation stick figure video that talks about sexual harassment, but does it in a humorous way. Yes. And she had seen the video when she had gone to a, a college program over the summer, two years earlier, yet she could remember the details of it after two years with enthusiasm. She then runs over to her laptop, laptop and this video has gotten millions, I think nine million views on YouTube. Yep. And it struck me. And then my son looked over, my son looked at me and said, he's on YouTube all the time and he won't watch a video longer than five minutes. Uh -huh. So then that kind of hit me. People today don't want a two hour video on sexual harassment. They want something that entertains them a little bit and they want it short. So I thought to myself, well, why does an integrity-related video have to be an hour long? So what we started doing at Airbnb was we challenged ourselves to make a monthly video, average of about three minutes long, about a different integrity topic, whether it would be alcohol at work or it would be conflict of interest. Uh, and we would simply pick a topic, and there would, look, there was no fancy budget or equipment. I recorded it on my iPhone. The acting was terrible. And I can say that because I was a featured actor in many of these episodes. <laughs> but what we would do is we would make this video. It would take maybe an hour a month. Um, and we would, instead of requiring people to watch it, which I think just sends a terrible message, we just emailed it out to the whole company. And we could see in the background how many people watched it. Well, within a year, we had as many as 2,000, 2,500 people voluntarily watching an ethics video. People were reaching out, asking how they could, could appear in the videos. They had suggestions about topics for the videos. And I became known as the video guy. Rob, when's the next video coming out? When are you going to do a video on this? When are you doing a video on that? People even were binge watching them with their team. So I think the point is, if, if you do something uh, yourself, instead of out, you can't outsource integrity effectively, right? You, doing it yourself, doing it homegrown, having some fun and some humor with it, keeping it short 
is a great way to keep people engaged throughout the year on these topics. These videos actually made a big difference, and they're sort of uh, almost have like a, a cult-like following within the company now. And uh, look, easy to do. Um, the bar is so low for an ethics video these days that people are shocked when you can make it even the least bit entertaining. Um, but yeah. it's just, again, one way that you can, you can bring integrity into people's lives in a way that uh, may resonate on a, on a personal sort of an authentic level. That's great. That's such a great way to wrap up here, Rob. Uh, I think there's so much in that example um, of how you have been a really excellent, excellent leader of integrity in your organization and driving a culture. There's the, you know, kind of listening to the room and seeing what works. There's the being dynamic and doing something that works specifically for your team. Um, there's a lot of specificity in those videos, and you know I think you say in the book that uh, ambiguity is the enemy of integrity, and giving people some specificity is really um, a, a big way to get them engaged and get them to understand. Okay, this is not just a rule; this is something that's going to happen in my life. Uh, and also, you know, part of doing this, integrity is not just legal defense. That's compliance 1.0 of just have some defensibility and make sure you have some, uh, you know, some way to have a defense in court. Um, and it's not even just 2.0 of do something, right? That's the force everybody to watch a video and you say, okay, we did something. But it's really looking for this compliance 3.0 or you know, maybe, maybe we just upgrade and call it integrity 1.0. Uh, and our new version is just integrity and it's, well, what works? what's going to drive a culture and what is specific to our business and our culture and the way that we want to be in the world um, that we can put out there as leaders to help everyone be proud of the brand and the company and the people they associate with at work. Yeah, that's it. That's well, what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for. And I think this, uh, this book is a great contribution to um, not just ethics experts and business leaders, but really I have a lot of confidence, Rob, that this is a great contribution to um, the ability and kind of the demand these days for businesses to be a positive force for good in the world. So I encourage all of our listeners, our entire audience, check out, buy, download, however you consume books, get intentional integrity, how smart companies can lead an ethical revolution. Uh, Rob Chestnut, this has been an absolute joy talking with you today. Uh, I really respect the work that you've done and your passion uh, for not just leading a program, but leading a company and leading a culture with integrity at the heart of it. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate you having me on. All right, great.